Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. From Autosport.com and Autosport Magazine, I'm Martin Lee, and this is the Autosport Podcast. As the countdown to the start of the Formula One season is on and Bahrain this weekend. Our man John Noble stayed out there, so he joins us from his hotel room. And uh, this is a conversation that I had both with John and Blake, a former Red Bull performance engineer who these days turns his hand to data analysis and content creation on the internet, on YouTube and on podcasts and things like that. So enjoy today's podcast, the conversation I had with both of them about the analysis that we can do following Formula One testing and what we think we might learn ahead of the race this weekend. Jonathan Noble, how are you? All good. Finally getting some a uh, bit of sleep after the test, so um, batteries recharging, <laughs> ready to rock again in a few days. And a first for this channel, our special guest, former performance engineer for Red Bull and Force India. These days, I'm used to watching his videos online and his podcasts. Blake Hensy, welcome along, Blake. How you doing? Good. Well, for those that don't know, you have your own YouTube channel, uh, Break F1 with three R's. Uh, you have your Buy Me a Coffee page. You have your podcasts, which run well over an hour. I learn loads from it uh, just listening to those and watching them. You can watch them online as well. Tell us a bit more about your move into content creation. Yeah. So, I mean, after 10 years of being a trackside performance engineer, um, so six of those were at the track, four years in the simulator Red Bull Racing I decided uh, 10 years was enough and I wanted to do something else. And initially the move was kind of like, I want to do gaming content, but I couldn't get away from it, honestly. You know, it's just like, you know, in my in my weekends, I was like, right, fire up the Python API, look at the data again. And and I really couldn't get away from it. I was like, you know what? Why don't I just do a, a bit of that and keep doing that? Because it was, it's you know, it was a passion turned into a job. And now it's kind of a passion again. And I get to enjoy that and uh, sit back and put a little bit of context and have really interesting discussions with a lot of people on the internet about that because one of the things about Formula One engineers is they usually get sucked into the machine and they stay there their entire lives mm. and so they can't really tell any of these stories I mean, you know and a lot of the time they, they can only tell the press certain things but I think with a bit of uh, hindsight and a bit of context um, I think there's a lot of really interesting stories that we can tell especially now that we've got access to all sorts of telemetry data to really dig deep into what the teams are doing what they're trying and uh 
when things go right and when they go wrong and what they actually look like. Oh, it's a real privilege to have you to explain to us today. Like you say, you are fresh, reasonably fresh from Formula One, uh, so you have all of that recent knowledge. You've pulled together your top five standout performance stories from last week's testing, so let's dive straight into it. Is it bad news or is it good news for Alpine? For McLaren, we think it's more likely to be uh, bad news. Can you run us through your thoughts here? Yeah, I mean, if you... In winter testing, if you're fast, it rarely means anything because you can pull some fuel out and everybody's running, you know, mid-fuel loads and it's not that impressive. But when I see a team on the back foot the entire weekend or for the entire test week, you're kind of scratching your head thinking, what's going on? You know, McLaren looked visibly frustrated, losing a lot of track time uh, with the lowest mileage of any team out there. And then you, you move on a little bit further up the road from them and you see Alpine with the second lowest mileage and you know, discussing before this, which what looks like really strange run plans, you know, doing no proper low fuel running, doing no race simulations of any note. And you're thinking you've got three days in Bahrain before you go to this race, before you embark on the 2023 season. Are, are you not missing a bunch of uh, very important data points? So it's hard to say them going from, you know, Alpine specifically going from challenging for fourth to being potentially on the back somewhere, maybe not all the way at the back, but I'm scratching my head still because the the data tells me one thing um, and there's other stuff. People are quite confident they're going to be doing well. So I really don't know what to say about that. That that is that is the biggest head scratcher for me. John, by the time people watch this and listen to it, uh, you, they may have read an article that you've done a, about Alpine and trying to decipher their test. Are you as pessimistic as Blake? I don't think I'm pessimi- as pessimistic. I think the thing is a bit of a mystery because th- there is this disconnect between the stats. When you dig into the the runs they did, there wasn't the low fuel run. There wasn't the, the kind of long runs that we were seeing other teams doing. There's a lot of short runs, a lot of variation. The reliability wasn't great. So you, you'd think it was a poor test for them. But then you speak to Otmar Safnau, you speak to Matt Harmon. They're cautiously optimistic. They think the week's gone to plan. I mean, Alpine is this team that always runs heavy fuel anyway. Last year's winter testing, it was well below the radar and it, you know, emerged those, those first few races, you know, potentially in Australia, gunning for pole. So it's done this in the past. Uh, Matt Harmon says they were doing a lot of setup experiments, a lot of understanding the mechanical aspects of the car, trying to put the car almost out of the right setup window to know where the limit was with ride heights, uh, understand the new suspension system. I think they were running low on engine modes. Maybe when they were running high fuel, they had it in low engine modes and vice versa. So... They seem confident. I mean, we did we did put it to Matt at the end of the test. You know, it's one thing thinking you know how quick you can go, but surely at some point you've got to take the fuel out, you've got to turn the engine mode up, and you've got to know how quick your car can go. But he was adamant. Says we know what the data says. We know where we should be if we take out X amount of fuel or run in X engine mode. So they're cautiously optimistic. There's no there's no signs like you get from McLaren, for example, that they're on the back foot. So I mean, we'll find out in FP1, especially when they've got this big upgrade coming. Blake, can you explain what a team means when they say that missing missing their efficiency targets? What is that? Yeah, so I think that was one of the things that's been we've we've had I've seen a couple of articles talking about McLaren missing the efficiency targets, and that usually comes in one of two forms. The first of those is you basically run a bunch of simulations varying these parameters, such as your lift and drag or your lift over drag ratio, and you try to find the sweet spot for the whole season. And then you build a couple of wings or rear wings for your car that kind of cover that range. So they'll cover, you know, your Monaco and Singapore and they'll cover your Monzas and Spas. 
But if you have some fundamental underlying models wrong, let's say a tire model or the driver model as one, or you know, or you've mispredicted your drag, which I'll get back to, you can come up with a, a overall drag level of your car, which is super inefficient. And we've seen last year, McLaren spent a lot of time uh, at the low end of the speed trap, which was peculiar because that was a standout for the Mercedes powered cars. Then if you look at this year and they're saying we've we've probably missed that, another possibility is measuring drag in the wind tunnel is actually extremely nuanced. And there's lots of things that you know you can miss in the data. And the whole thing that we keep talking about from last year to this year is making your tools match reality and all the assumptions you have to make. It's not it's not a perfect science and teams will get it wrong. Um, Mercedes being caught out the most last year with the porpoising phenomena and then having quite a narrow operating window that they couldn't move away from. The same thing could have happened with um, McLaren. Potentially, it's either a simulation result or uh, a nuance with actually measuring the drag in the wind tunnel. And they show up at the track again and they're they're scratching their heads thinking we're missing four kilometers an hour. And then your final thoughts on Alpine, because John mentioned some short stints and at some point you've got to take the fuel out and see if you've got pace in the car. You were concerned as well about not even really seeing race simulations. What's the problem with not doing that at testing? Well, this is this is their first opportunity to try all six of the new compounds, you know, or all six of the compounds we have. Some of them we know. There's the new one, of course. But, you know, we, you don't really understand, you know, the car's balance and everything else. So they're, they're talking about a lot of these new suspension systems they're working with. And we saw the car quite a bit out of shape, which they didn't seem too alarmed about. But um, how does the, your car, what is your compromise in terms of how fast you can go and how long you can, so how long you can sustain that pace? And uh, if you don't know that, I mean, you could say, yes, you know, if we take 60 kilos out of the car, we'll be close to the front or, you know, third row, right? But without doing it, there's, there's no simulations you can run that you can do to predict your pace. And that's why you see teams last year, you saw it happen to Red Bull in Austria, you saw it for Ferrari for the second half of the season. You cannot, there's no models that predict that. You have to observe it and it, it's nuanced and there's a lot of things that are uncertainties and they don't have that data yet. Anything you want to chip in, John, before we move on? Uh, no, I think it's well covered. I mean, I mean, Alpine, it just reminds me of 12 months ago completely. They had a terrible test in Barcelona. Um, I think it was cut short by a, a kind of fuel line fire. Um, the DRS wasn't working. They were super heavy on fuel and everyone wrote them off 12 months ago and they kind of, there was this bounce back. So, th- I mean, that confidence inside the team, I mean, I think teams know if they're in trouble or not. And I don't think if they felt they're in trouble, they'd be talking about being cautiously optimistic and quietly confident. So we'll, but we'll find out in a few days time. Okay, let's get on to Blake's second point that you want to talk about. And that is Ferrari. How did you see their test performance? Ferrari was an interesting one because, you know, I'm looking at the data from, let's say, when it's day two, I'm looking at the day one data and watching the test in the background. And I don't really feel like Ferrari ever featured in many of the discussions. We're, we're looking at the car. It looks great. Uh, it looks pretty reasonable. Nobody looks too flustered. But, the, you know, they just got on with a pretty standard program, like a mix of, you know, hybrid runs where you go, you know, a performance lap into an extended run. It looked normal. They got lots of mileage. Nope. I just I didn't hear anything about it. But Two, two things that stand out to me. Uh, their low fuel pace looks okay. And when, when they're in the mix, it's hard to say. You know, maybe they've got 10, 15 kilos more to pull out of the car. There's a couple tents. So very well could be fighting for the front row. Uh, my gut feeling says I think they might still be a little bit on the recovery. But I'm, I'm, I cannot wait to be surprised. 
Um, but the, the thing that bothered me a little bit about looking at their car was um, their high fuel performance, especially at the start of their race simulations. Their degradation looked quite bad. And that was a, a bit of a carryover from last year, especially at the end of the season. So after we came back from the summer break, um, both Carlos and uh, Charles were talking about, you know, the tires are overheating. It's fronts, it's rears, it's both axles at the same time. And I, I, the only question mark I've got in my head is the 2023 front construction. They've obviously probably have come out with a stiffer front tire to give more grip that was difficult for teams to remedy with setup alone. Do you, the only question mark I have is, is that going to push Ferrari further into a bad spot? They've got typically quite a pointy car, um, which is great for single lap, but is that going to hurt their race pace? Their race simulations, especially the first stint when they're heavy on fuel, didn't look spectacular. So that's that's my caution for Ferrari. I think their single lap pace is good. Looking at their through lap performance, high speed, medium speed, low speed, good grip, great high speed performance, and decent traction on a single lap. What does that look like? What does that look like 10 laps, 20 laps into um, a stint when you're at 80 kilos of fuel? So when you say you're concerned about their long runs, is that specifically, you talk about um, degradation on the tyres there? Absolutely. So how much lap time they lose per lap? You know, and it's always that compromise. And you saw it a lot last year and teams talked about it. Do you hit the first stint very fast and deal with the degradation that you get? Or do you try to ease the tires into it? And I think that's the compromise. And they could have been playing with that. They could have deliberately hit some of those heavy stints super hard and see how much the degradation is on the tires. So maybe they're learning. I think that's one of the caveats you've got to take for the test. We spoke to Fred Vasseur on the, the final afternoon. I had a long, long 30 minutes chat with him um, in Ferrari. So quite a, quite a good thing for you know a change of atmosphere in Marinello. But he talked about some of the stints. You know, they've been experimenting setups and that setup hadn't worked and therefore it hadn't looked very good. So I think sometimes it's quite hard if you're not actually inside the team when you see a bad stint go, oh, that car's terrible. Or actually, the team have done exactly what they wanted and they've addressed it. So I think he was happier with where they were on day three than where they were on day one and two. But I think one of the recurring themes from Ferrari was this balance, finding the right balance with the car. And I think there were times they, they couldn't quite get it in the, the sweet spot, which I think may be more, more critical now as we, we get into this kind of phase there's not much performance difference at the front and, and, and what is that John can you explain about how quick Ferrari were through uh, the speed traps what that says about the power unit and the aero they were running at testing and why they'd be so quick in testing as well in a straight line yeah I did did a very quick basic analysis I don't think my my um, database and program is quite as good as Blake but uh, from my, my basic thing looking at the, the that, those final laps on the final day day three when um, Ferrari, uh, Mercedes and Red Bull had done their, their fast laps. I mean, the Ferrari looked quick in a straight line. So it looked like they have addressed this if, if efficiency, which wasn't one of their problems last year. However, how much that's compromised their performance in the corners, we aren't quite sure yet. So they've got to find that sweet spot and that balance. And Fred Vasseur talked about this, about approaching the race weekend and you've got to make a compromise. Are you chasing top speed? Or are you going to chase edge more towards downforce? And I think... Last year, I mean, Fred talked about Red Bull having gone very, very aggressive in going for the straight line speed, which, you know, proved critical in allowing Max to overtake, proved critical in letting him get away. People couldn't attack him. So, you know, maybe Ferrari are going to go more towards chasing the straight line speed at the consequence of corners um, and then try and leave your rivals to, to battle through and do something different to get ahead of you. All right, I, w- I want to make sure we have time for everything on Blake's list, but I think it's a lot we could talk about with Ferrari. But let's get into the next of the predicted front runners 
and one that completely confused me because I was watching the the, the test thinking, well, where are Mercedes? Um, the drivers were positive and negative. Uh, Toto Wolf said that a lot's been solved and they were holding a lot back. Of course, they would do its testing. So, Blake, they had a really mixed test, but from your expert insight, what can you tell us? I, th- I think Mercedes weekend or their, their test program looked a lot like the Ferrari. You know, they, they were minding their own business. They were gathering all the data, good mileage. Um, the low fuel runs looked good um, it, and their high fuel runs actually looked very good. But they, they lost a lot of time on day two with, um, as far as I've read, it's just they lost a load of front load on the car and they were kind of scratching their heads day two evening and day three looked fine again. So... I think that might have put them a little bit on the back foot in terms of understanding because as 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 John was saying before, like the compromise and the balance, um, if the balance is way out of the window, it, you kind of are left scratching your head about the results. You know, was our, you know, for example, our pace or our degradation low because the car was understeering like a pig or was it fine? Um, from what I saw, their race pace and degradation looked better than the Ferrari on a handful of stints and you can you can pick and choose the data. The only thing I will say, which is, I, I agree 100% with what John said about the Ferrari being a very slippery car and potentially taking that approach where a bit more efficient, if you're not exactly leading outright in single lap performance in the race you're coming through and you're going to be d- difficult to hang on to, I think Mercedes with the W14 still has a little bit of an efficiency problem from what I can see. They could have been running the engine modes low, but looking at all the other Mercedes powered cars, they were about where they were last season, so I don't feel like anything changed in that regard. It looks like the Mercedes still a little bit on the draggy side. Is it is it the Mercedes engine, or is it just a carry-on of their car and side pod philosophy as a whole? Uh, talking about that philosophy, you've got some analysis and content on your channel about that, how they surprised everyone at the second test last year. What would you, know, what would you have done given last year? Would you have made a call halfway through the year or when, at, at whatever point and said, this philosophy hasn't worked, but then that puts you so much far behind your competitors or are they right to carry on with this and try and unlock the time, which they insist, if they can get this working, there's tenths in the car. Yeah. What would you have done? I, I think... I think they've done the right thing and they've listened to their experts. You know, it's one of those things you look back years in the past where maybe McLaren had gone on to a, a concept and it didn't pan out and they they stuck, you know, very firmly on that path and it kind of fell away from them from there. But I, I think Mercedes is a kind of team that has not only the, the experience, but the depth and the expertise to to make the right decisions on that. And if they're saying there's performance in this zero pod concept... And not only just the zero pod concept, I think, is what we talked about in that video is it's, it's that and how the suspension and everything else and the window that people keep talking about of the car. So how much downforce is where, how, t- how narrow that window is, and then what happens when you move away from it. I, I think with the new regulations, the floor edge is raised, sensitivity to porpoising hopefully reduced. I, I think they're saying, you know what, we can keep down this concept um, and adapt a little bit. Because, like you said, they are they are down a road quite far now. You know, we're whole season in, um, and then there was you know six twelve months of development on that concept before it even showed up. So, I, I would have stuck it out honestly, because mm. I trust I trust them to make the right decisions on that. Yeah, they don't forget how to be world champions overnight. So no, exactly. All the people there to you know to win again. Yes. Um, John, you were there in the paddock. Uh, Blake's mentioned this kind of weird front end downforce issue on Saturday. I mean, the last thing a team wants is to not know 
what the car is doing and to be discovering that as you're two, three, four races into the season. Can you tell us any more about what happened there and what they found out? Well, I didn't didn't find an awful lot, I don't think. I was told that the following morning there was no kind of smoking gun, no obvious explanation as to what happened on day two. They did some set of experiments planned for day three, but as soon as they began running on day three, the car was in a much better place. So, I mean, it could be related to this. I mean, the, the, the term you kept hearing from lots of teams was chasing balance, basically. I think with these new tyres, the way you need to look after them over a stint, a uh, tricky track as well, Bahrain, temperature fluctuations, track surface is quite rough. Uh, I think everyone was trying to get into the, the right window with a balance. And I think if you got slightly out of it, um, especially with these these new tyres being stronger on the front, potentially weaker on the rear, Max reckoned actually. Max reckoned that the fronts were the same and it's the rears that were weaker. But um, we'll see see how that pans out. But I mean, it could be related, you know, to slight wrong temperature, slight wrong balance. And the problem was exacerbated on the Mercedes, but it looked better um, by the final day. But and I agree with Blake about the efficiency. I think the Mercedes still needs more straight line speed, but they've already talked about a new sidepod concept or a sidepod update coming potentially around Baku time, I think. So that may well address some of these straight line issues and it'll be an area they hope can push on forwards with. That doesn't inspire confidence though, does it? When they're talking about bringing significant upgrades based around the fundamentals or is that you're not bothered by that well i think it's one of those things you can either view it as a glass half full or glass half empty can't you that they've either got a lot of performance coming like the you know mclaren can say we've got a big step coming for the car or you could look at it as actually we've messed this launch version up and uh, we should have done a better job from race one all right blake let's talk about your fourth point that you wanted to bring up on today's video your former team red bull looked so solid in bahrain and that was what was really interesting is that whatever run plan they seem to do max seemed to bounce out the car he seemed happy uh it, it, there didn't seem to be any problems but what did what was your take on red bull's test I think having been at several of their tests in the winter, this looked like a really normal Red Bull test, albeit with much better reliability than the old engine days. So, I mean, they were running through their programs, a lot of hybrid runs. So you do, you know, a performance run at the beginning, come in, change the flap, go out and do a high fuel run. And they were getting through lots of test items, covering lots of mileage. And I'm not a body language expert. But when, you see, when you see the drivers hop out of the car you know, Max doing his Max explaining with the hands and everything to, <laughs> to the engineers. So it, it looked, it looked good, but, um, but I, I'm not a body language expert. I, I like looking at data. And from what I can see, again, we go back to this point. If you're at the top of the timesheets, it doesn't necessarily mean anything good. So, uh, but let, let's be off the back of last season. That car was a rocket ship. Um, that DNA is still in this car. It looks like an evolution of the last year's car and potentially a little bit better. They were very, very good on the tires, especially in the evening in the cooler stents. So, you know, in the in the in the morning when they put high fuel in the car, it wasn't too bad. It was in the mix. Uh, definitely not Ferrari look, but we again we don't know if they were pushing like hell or or what they were doing. But it, the Red Bull looks like it's good on the tires. It's su- the Checo's lap on day three. The car looked like it was on rails. I had to stop and go back and rewind it and say, is that an outlap? Because it was, you know, it was, it was planted in the high speed. There was no corrections, um, you know, just losing the rear tires just a little bit at the end of the lap, which, which as you were saying before, is very typical of, of Bahrain. You know, it's very high on a traction. The rear tires are going to go away through a lap, especially on those softer compounds. But degradation looks good. Uh, there's no reason to be alarmed at the pace. 
I think Red Bull are going to uh, lead the start of the season. Can you just explain a little bit for someone like me uh, uh, this incredible uh, analysis that you do of, of the data from testing? But when when we look at what you're looking at, how can you tell on a long run pace uh, that they had so little degradation? What are the things that you're pulling out of those data to make that conclusion? Well, I, th- I think this is probably one of the most like the simple forms that you're literally just looking at their lap times. And one of the one of the good things about let's say when a team does a race simulation is they can't sandbag it or they can't put because if they're going out stopping for new tires and out you you know how much fuel you started with you probably started with close to full tanks so and if you're looking at the lap time that they lose per lap and you see this you know um we'll get on to the other one which is super interesting but the, the the example we go back to is mexico last year when people like max was doing the exact same lap time for an entire stint that is the the characteristic description of very low deg which is either which is very likely the fact that they have so much pace in hand that they can slow down so that they're not damaging the tire so they don't lose any lap time every single lap. You're just going faster and faster. And as if you're, bullying, as if you're burning off that fuel, um, you're taking advantage of that couple hundreds of a second from that lap's worth of fuel. Brilliant. Uh, John, can you explain for people watching, and you know, I've seen some comments over the last few days that, yeah, in previous years we've been at tests during Mercedes' dominance era, where they have sandbagged a bit, and and we've looked at the data, and that's led us to conclude actually maybe Ferrari are a bit uh, a bit stronger than previous years, and then Mercedes have come out and just and just dominated. So it's understandable for them people to say, look, Autosport for the last few days have been saying Red Bull are favourites. Are they nailed on favourites? Are we confident with that? You know, a week is a long time in Formula One before they go racing again this weekend. Uh, yeah, I think you wouldn't find anyone in that paddock who wouldn't deny that Red Bull are favourites. It just looked, and it goes beyond the lap times. Um, I think it's the, the way in which Max was Max and Sergio were so able to extract pace. I mean, you look to his runs on Max's runs on day one, for example. There was a you know a few insulation laps in the morning and straight into a program. Runs of six, seven laps, all consist super consistent, all the same thing. Come in for a wing change, back out again, six, seven laps, same pace, bang. So there's none of this kind of struggling to maintain consistency, none of this ver- huge variations in performance, no massive drop-off in tyre wear. Just, it seemed, seemed easy. And I think that's the, that's the concern of other teams. It, it didn't seem an effort for Red Bull to put these lap times in either the shorter runs, the race distances, the, the final low-fuel runs. It all looked quite effortless. So the key is how much are they pushing and how much have they still got in their pocket? Yeah, oh man, I can't wait to see them this weekend. You know, Max Verstappen uh, boxed into a corner it is is a, is fierce when he comes out fighting, but a confident double world champion Max Verstappen that looks as you know just as at ease. Well, that's ominous as well because who knows uh, how how uh, how far ahead they they might be, or how much the other teams could be sandbagging, and who's gonna. Who's going to challenge them? Blake, your fifth point you sent us, I'm so pleased you put this on your list, is you want to talk about Aston Martin. Uh, I've been really impressed by them, and then I've been told I'm both too bullish on them and that, uh, and that they won't be anywhere near, you know, Mercedes come, come uh, Q3. But what are your thoughts on Aston Martin? It's, it's another one of those things. It's like they're up towards the front in the rankings every day, minding their own business. Um their single lap pace looks okay nothing great like if i had to guess it was probably around fourth which means it could be you know plus or minus one from there but i was you know alonso put in the really good lap on was it day one 
really close to the Red Bull, thinking, okay, good, they've got a good car, they've got Fernando Alonso in the car, great. Um, and then on day three, they did the race stint, which is what everybody was talking about. And we talked about low degradation, but there's another thing which we haven't talked about is negative degradation, whereas the more laps you do, the faster the tire goes. And Alonso did a race stint, which did exactly that, which, you know, if you look at the first lap, you know, it was it was a fast lap already, and then the stint got faster. The next stint, the exact same thing, and then the final stint at low fuel, the exact same thing. So that's, again, one of those things that's super difficult to fake because you have to have the fuel in the car to do the lap. And there's no way, like, looking at the, the, the speeds and everything else, there's no way that you're, you know, they're playing tricks with the engine. So I'm kind of bullish about Aston Martin as well, but it's one of those things, like, I don't know. I'm, this takes me back to a story a long time ago at Force India. There was a, a test we did, and Hulkenberg did a, what they called it, the mega lap. We spent a lot of time trying to understand exactly, you know, because it was a, a brilliant lap that stood out way beyond any other lap, and it was, what is that? But I, is, this isn't a single lap. This is a whole race simulation. So I think the Aston Martin genuinely do have a solid race car. We'll we'll see come next Saturday where their, um, or this Saturday, where their race pay, or their qualifying pace is, but... I'm, it was impressive, and it's hard to fake that. And if anyone can pull performance out of a car, it's going to be Fernando Alonso. As a, as a former performance engineer working with drivers on a test weekend, now Alonso arrived too late to have direct feed in, you know, to feed into the the fundamental design of, of this car. But what will his performance engineer, what's that role over a weekend? He's new to the team. He's putting in some fantastic performances. He's lost his, his teammate Stroll to an injury. And so he's, you know, he's not on his own because Drogovic will be providing feedback there. But what's that role of, of the performance engineer in the team of getting the most out of uh, Alonso? Because Alonso wants to get the most out of the car. Yeah, I, I think a lot of that will be looking at your other references that you've got. Like, it's really difficult to compare back to another year. And so you had Drogovic in the morning doing the test plan. I think the performance and race engineer would have been just literally looking at that, trying to, I mean, of, of course, Alonso's done some runs in the simulator, so they're familiar with his feedback, what he wants from the car and what he doesn't want from the car. But I think that that first day with the performance and race engineer was just looking at the data, understanding what he needs from the car and giving him exactly that. Because... You know, comparing a driver to yourself is quite difficult. You, you know, you, usually you're comparing driver A to driver B and saying, right, here's what we can do. You know, we, all the teams have all the telemetry data or the subset of telemetry data from all the other teams. But you can't really compare that. You can't say, you know, Alonzo, the Red Bull's doing this here. Can you do that? So day, day one with Alonzo would have been about uh, getting the feedback, understanding what he needed from the car and getting the balance where he wanted it so that he could extract the most out of it. And potentially at this point, they might be learning a bit from him. Wow. John, you know, I'm, I'm fully on board the Aston Martin hype train. I've got my ticket. I've sat down. I'm here for the ride. Are you? Am I stupid for doing that? What's your take? I think there's been a step forward, definite. But the question is, how, how far has it gone? That, that day three run from Alonso was sensational. I mean, it, it, you know, one of the most impressive runs we saw from anybody throughout the three days. But there are some caveats to it. First is, you know, track conditions, temperature changes a lot during the test. So if you get to do it in the cooler temperatures, then, you know, your performance can look a lot better than if you're doing it in the, the, the glaring midday heat. The other factor was from what the team was saying was that at the time Fernando was doing these runs, everyone else was going out on soft tyres, doing um, quali runs, quali simulation runs. So the track was getting well rubbered in with a softer compound, which they think helped elevate the performance a little bit. So it could explain why it was maybe, may have been an outlier, but... 
you know, whether I, th- I think we may be getting ahead of ourselves thinking Aston can be battling up there with Ferrari and Red Bull, but I think it's a definite step. And with Fernando, you never know. I mean, he's a, he's a wily old fox who's <laughs> been around the block many, many, many times. And we talked about body language earlier and I thought it was fascinating that Fernando, when he knows the team's in trouble, he'll give some speech about why he's doing a sensational job and all this sort of thing. If he thinks there's, you know, he's elevating himself above the team, there'll be even more stuff about, I'm the best prepared I am. I'm the best this weekend, completely calm, complete silence, absolutely nothing, giving absolutely nothing away, <laughs> playing everything down, which to me is the biggest indication that he knows he's got a, a very good car underneath him. All right, here we go. That's your top five talking points, Blake. Thank you so much for joining us. I uh, hope it's not the last time you join us on the channel because I've learned so much today. Quickly, in terms of overall competition this year, what were your key takeaways from testing then? I think the the most exciting thing that I think everybody would be glad to hear is the field looks closer together. We've had a year on these regulations under the belts. Uh, the teams who were struggling with a weight problem in last year um, have itched, you know, have scratched that deficit away. I think we're looking for, like the midfield battle is going to be fantastic this year. Do, will Red Bull and Ferrari be leading this? Maybe. Um, but you've got Aston elevated, Alpine hopefully with a lot more to show than they brought to the test. I think this is going to be a sensational year for, for race fans. Yeah, it sounds that it, it, like, John, if there, if there's any change at the front, if, I don't know, if Verstappen and, and Leclerc go into the into T1 and take each other off, then it, it it's opens it up to so many more drivers that could be on the podium or the top step. How do you think, how do you think things will shake out this weekend and these this first four set of flyaway races? Yeah, I think we're going to have a, a kind of a, maybe a season of two halves. I think the, the first four races are going to be fairly static in terms of the order. I think you'll you'll have Red Bull and Ferrari at the front, and potentially it could be similar to last year. Ferrari quicker in qualifying, Red Bull comes through in the race, uh, and maybe Ferrari will try and mitigate that by you know increasing the efficiency, trying to trying to stop Max blasting past them on the straights. Um, but then I think as we get onto seasons, the McLaren upgrades come forward, the Mercedes changes come for potentially Baku more upgrades come. Hopefully that, that pack gets closer onto the back of them and we can have it mixed up because it wasn't very good last year to have one you know, non-McLaren, non-Mercedes, Red Bull, Ferrari on the podium. Um, we need more. We need more people up there. So let's hope, let's hope it moves forward. Well, thank you very much to Blake and John on today's podcast looking at what we can learn, what we, we still don't know. You know, we saw Mercedes run a really a big kind of barn door rear wing at times in testing. If they were using a wing from last year, that's their baseline. And so maybe they'll turn up this weekend with something more appropriate to Bahrain. And they've crunched the numbers based on what they knew from last year. So much is known and yet so much we're yet to discover. And hey, if you, like me, it's one of the reasons we love following Formula One because it's a complex sport. There's always something to learn and enjoy and watch. And hopefully you enjoyed listening to today's podcast. You can give us your feedback if you want to email the show, podcast at autosport.com. That's podcast at autosport.com. Email address is always open for your feedback, questions, comments. Might even read yours out on the next show. Thanks for listening. I will catch you on the next one. Sports Social Podcast Network. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? 
Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.